0: Because you know, if you don't think about what's possible, you know, you're stuck with your own little, like, you know, enclosure. You know, so the biggest problem we have as humans is, you know, we we are very good at putting enclosure, our, uh, limits around ourselves. You know, so you know, get rid of those limits. When you visualize, you can it's a safe environment. No one knows what you're thinking of. You know? The sooner you realize you have to make a jump, the better it is.
1: Hi, I am Tatiana Pandurovich, and welcome to Moonshot, a space where comfort zones don't exist. Having spent most of my life scared to take risks, the one thing I am seeking now is to be surrounded by more people who are courageous, bold, unafraid, and relentless in their pursuit for success to help inspire me and hopefully you. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of individuals who see no limits, those who dream big and defy boundaries. Let's rise together. Today on Moonshot, meet Dalibor Ivkovic, the visionary co founder and CEO behind financial tech leaders including SalesTrekker, Exhaust Processing, and LoanQ. After 13 years in the manufacturing industry with Carlton and United Breweries, Dalibor pivoted to a completely new industry in finance and founded three successful companies. Dive into his strategic decision making process and four step approach to building a successful business. With DALBOR, you'll discover the transformative power of visualization and focus on the path to entrepreneurial success. Dalvor, thank you for joining the Moonshot podcast to share your wisdom, insights, and learnings. As a successful CEO and founder at both Sales Trekker and ExSource, I think people would find the unique career and background you have particularly interesting. The title of this show is called Moonshot, which means a time when you really went out of your comfort zone and took a leap of faith to achieve success. To start with, what is one of the most important Moonshot moments of your life?
0: First of all, thank you for having me, Tiana. Um, Pleasure to be here. So, uh, look, there's obviously a number of different, you know, moonshot moments, you know. To me, the biggest uh, exit from my comfort zone was trying to actually sell. Um, I already made a move at the time to uh, leave corporate job and to become, let's say, entrepreneur, started up a business that doesn't exist anymore and uh, I had to go and sell myself to an audience that I didn't really know much about. And I got taken by a, a, a good friend of mine who is a professional sales person, this guy called John Kelly, and uh, he took me to my first uh, real sale process and I was nervous as ever. Uh, there was probably a moment where I realized, okay, it's unpleasant, <laughs> but I can do this. And I've done that many times after that. So. That was the moment when I thought, look, I can. I think I can do this.
1: And what was that first experience? The first sales process?
0: Sure. Um, it was very. Uh, uh, it was quite unpleasant because you know I was dealing with the audience that didn't really want to buy my product, uh, and uh, it what, was good. It's, what uh, were you selling? Uh, uh, it was my first startup called FitPass. Um, it was a fitness uh, app that uh, was going to be like a one pass all gyms, etc. I had people that wanted to buy it but I didn't have distribution and distribution was very difficult to get come by and there was the sales that I had to do and uh, I wasn't doing it very well uh, but I learned a lot from it. So it was amazing jumping board. Uh, I didn't do it for too long because I realized uh, fairly quickly that it was a waste of time um, and I moved on from there on and it was the best thing i ever done. So uh, I got that um, the scary moment, you know, like I have to go out there and you know, be something I'm not because I wasn't a salesperson. I'm not probably a natural salesperson. But then after that, I did it many times, you know, with similar type of businesses in different industry and it got better and better.
1: And with FitPass, how were you selling? Were you cold calling? Were you visiting potential clients in person? Yeah. How did you start out? Yeah, what, both what, of
0: those, yeah. Cold calling and, uh, and visiting. Uh, it was very hard at the time to sell the concept, you know, because uh, gym industry at the time and still is, you know, we, we rent the, uh, subscriptions so that you never turn up to the gym so uh, once I realized I'm kind of wasting my time I kind of kill it off which was also a pretty important moment and another shot moment for me as well saying look I've just invested quite a bit of money into this quite a bit of my time I left my corporate job for this um, and um, I just said look let's move on this isn't working keep going start from scratch.
1: And how did that feel when the thing that you left your corporate job for wasn't working out?
0: Oh, it was very, it was very scary. I, I wasted all my uh, savings, not wasted, invested all my savings in this. Uh, uh, I lived off my wife' salary for a while and after that as well, I um, uh, ended up basically using my coins to go have a coffee, et cetera, and run out of those coins as well. So like, you know, the money ran out pretty quickly. Uh, so that part was quite scary bit, you know, but... Um, i I went back looking how can I turn this around pretty quickly and that was the process I was doing daily till really worked out fairly quickly. so I was a little bit lucky that I found the gut niche industry that I could get in pretty quickly that was already uh uh asking for type of business that I created and um that's what happened. I switched off from Fitpass to my new business, which was XSource source processing and it was um complete change of industry. I went from manufacturing, so beer making, uh, in corporate job to a, um, uh, trying to run a tech fitness industry uh, to going into the finance industry running loan processing services, which was uh, zigzag, and that all happened in a period of maybe nine months.
1: And after FitPass didn't work out and yep. then you were doing the research to figure out what other business you wanted to get into, what did you want to do next, what was it that kept you motivated after FitPass didn't work out?
0: Uh, I had to make living, so that was an easy way to, to, to get motivated. I had to make money. So I, I went from well-paid job to no-paid no, no job and obviously spent all the savings very quickly, you know, thinking this, fit, this fitness business is going to be okay. And then I had to work out pretty quickly what industry I want to be in, you know, if there's a gap in there, like if there's opportunity, you know, what that opportunity is. And it was a pure coincidence that I got into the finance industry. I made a website for a friend who is a mortgage broker, you know, and named John Painter. And um, I was going to get some cut of his leads and uh, he wasn't processing these loans. You know, there was a lot of leads coming in because I already knew how to do, you know, lead generation, I guess. And uh, then I worked out that he's got a problem that he can't resolve. And I thought, oh, I can solve this by utilizing some of my manufacturing expertise in a completely new industry. I have quickly worked out a number of people in industry. Uh, they're all salespeople. They have to do a lot of labor, like, you know, processing labor. And I can get processing labor. I can train them. I can give them standardized processes, et um, So, And I can get some arbitrage between having a team overseas, in a case in Serbia, and clients here in Australia. So yeah. that was all done within a week or two weeks.
1: Yeah. And you embarked on a completely different lifestyle when you started Becoming the founder of multiple of your own businesses. Do you have any regrets?
0: I would have started earlier.
1: Where where did your journey begin? Because you were at Carlton Breweries for, I think you mentioned earlier to me, 13 years. What made you who you are? Where did your journey initially begin?
0: So I I was born obviously overseas. So I came here exactly 30 years ago, pretty much October 1993. And uh, uh, I came without money, without English, uh, with my parents and sister. We came to Tasmania, again, very isolated, beautiful place, but isolated at the time, especially um, my uncle took care of us initially. So, you know, every step to me was new, like, you know, so like I went from something back where I grew up to something completely new, like, you know, you know, life of Tasmania, cricket, you know, things like that I never thought I'm going to like, you know, and all of a sudden, like, I'm liking those things and I'm starting you know, to, to enjoy them, etc. And then moved from Tasmania when I got. When I've completed my engineering degree, moved to Melbourne, you know, with Culture United Breweries from Melbourne to uh, Sydney, from Sydney to Brisbane. So I had a chance to move different cities. And along the way, you meet some really amazing people. You know, part of good things about corporate world is there's always incredible amount of talented people and people that you can learn from. And I would still go back. I would still do a corporate job for a period of time. I think it's amazing experience and amazing learning. But the... Um, you know my my learning and my process was quite unusual because I started really really late and I didn't come from entrepreneurial background like you know everyone in my family was employee you know so uh, you see with a lot of people that I follow now they would have uh, you know parents that even have shops you know like maybe corner store etc and they kind of learned through that and they you know maybe run the you know shop you know when they were little the kids or like a bit older and then they Did uni and demonstrate and run their own business? You know, I went completely opposite. You know, I was always uh, finish school, finish you know degree, get a job, get you know postgraduate degree, you know, and kept keep progressing. You know, till I realized I actually like something quite different. You know, and I realized even Carlton United that I was probably a bit different because I want to do things my way, and you can't do that in corporation. You know, you you could get isolated pretty quickly. But I was lucky that they gave me the isolation. I, I got a lot of isolated. Uh, factories to run really so there was um there was my lucky break and then I got pretty much you know placed with 40 50 employees and it was us and small team and no one really cared about us and I op- operated like I um
1: autonomously
0: business. yeah pretty much yeah. So. you know you can't you still have to report to someone else but you can you know do your in- initiatives and you can go crazy with initiatives etc uh but then you know, once you start joining back the mainstream, you know, like bigger places, you know, corporate sort of like scheme, you realize, you know, you have to behave in a certain way.
1: And I don't. You have to operate <laughs> more within bounds. Yeah. I think my personal journey resonates a lot with yours because mm-hmm. to date it has been very similar. I went to university. I have did a couple of degrees. I've been in corporate world for about 10 years now. And making the change isn't easy because often I find it's related to mindset. Uh, the same story that you shared earlier around you saw two people raise their hand in doing an MBA to actually start their own business yep. and that was a catalyst for you. So you were then at Carlton and Breweries 13 years. You made the change. You tried to start FitPass. It didn't work, so you quickly pivoted and probably a very important lesson of when to say no and move on as well. What made you really make the pivot to finance? Was it the opportunity that came up when you met your friends? Yeah,
0: look um, – uh, uh, but when, when you work out which industry you're gonna tackle, you know I want to change industry, okay? And I left brewing industry just when it was becoming real fun. So in brewing industry now is incredible fun. There's a lot of craft. Bre- beer. If you go to a place like Markville, there's like breweries, breweries galore. Like you know, 10 breweries in, within 15-20 minute walk, and it's amazing. You know, back then it was industrial. It was still fun, but like you know, not entrepreneurially fun. Like it was big companies running big big breweries, and I left at that time. And some of my friends stayed and, you know, build their own breweries, brewing businesses, sold them, etc. Uh, and they had an amazing time as well. But I thought, look, I want to move on. And, and finding finance was coincidental, but finance made a lot of sense. So when you decide to move, you look at what industry you're getting in. And my biggest mistake with the f- fitness industry was that I, I saw the size of industry, $1.5 billion in Australia, but I didn't really look into details how that money is uh, extracted you know and majority of that money is actually owner operators doing their own labor so people that run gyms they work there as personal trainers as well so they don't have time to go and do stuff outside of that you know while in finance industry you have so many different layers and significantly bigger there's more cash in it and more layers so that that gives you opportunity to find your little gap
1: niche niche
0: yeah i had this like Lecture at uh, AGSM, uh, this Icelandic lady, and she was, t- she brought a potato once and said, look, this is the industry and, um, you know, no industry is perfect. Like this potato, it's got this gap, it's got these dimples, et cetera. So like, you know, your job is to find the dimple and fill it up. And I, I still remember that, you know, I was going well, look, you know, if you have something as small as fitness industry, it's harder to find that gap. Um, you can still, and people do, you know, there's a lot of successful, uh, Uh, success stories, you know, like, you know, uh, that even Australian that that made, you know, global success in fitness industry, but the uh, locally in finance industry, it's a bigger industry, there's a lot of gaps. Uh, And I started with loan processing for mortgage brokers, then we went into the software, which is the next business.
1: And you had a business partner at this point?
0: So far by myself, everything, until I got into software. You were doing
1: all of that by yourself.
0: Yeah. So it was, I was doing everything, you know, I was learning how to do, uh, like marketing, you know, I would basically would drive from Sydney to Coffs Harbour to meet uh, a Jim Warner, who uh, wouldn't turn up to a meeting, and then I would just listen to podcasts about marketing. There's a couple of amazing podcasts, like uh, Small Business Big Marketing, for example, uh, with Tim Reed, you know, I listen to that like religiously at the time, and I learned everything I knew about that without going to university, about, you know, I mean, without really going back to my marketing training. At at, uh, you know, at uni or at MBA. And that's where good stuff came up. You know, that's where the uh, SEO stuff came up, et cetera. Um, and
1: what year was this in? Because this must have been when online marketing wasn't as big as it is today as well.
0: It was big. This is before Google intervened and, and made sure that you can't do silly things. So you have to do it the hard way with, with the content, with podcasts, with the, yeah. with the you know, uh, Uh, videos etc etc you know back then you could do a lot of things that were quite silly you know so but I learned all those things so I managed to learn how to get site up so the site would be visually very average
1: and you built that yourself
0: yep and (laughs) was that
1: and how did you learn to do that was that through the the podcast was it through Online. online research online
0: podcasts you know even you have to learn you know I had plenty of time like you know so one thing I did learn in school is I learn how to learn, you know, quickly. And that's what everyone does, you know. So you, you don't go to university to learn how to, you know, repair jet engine. You do that on the job. You learn how to learn how to repair jet engine. You know, so same with the, with the uh, engineering, you know, with the business, etc. Like, you know, you kind of learn some frameworks and concepts and you never use them after that. But you learn how to find your to the piece of information you need to do what you want to get.
1: How
0: to problem solve. Yep. How to problem solve, you know. But, and look, all of that involves some pretty important things that you need to do all the time. You know, number one to me was always visualize. So it has to be number one. So in my, in my sort of world, you know. So, what does that mean? So daydream. So as a child, you daydream, all right? So, you know, you lay down on the grass, looking at the, you know, jets flying over, like going some foreign country and you go, one day I might go to Australia. That's how I used to think, all right. And you visualize that and you eventually focus on that to, to get that. So you visualize, you make some plan that fits with that vision. Uh, and then you focus heavily to execute that plan. And in the last part is, you know, you review and repeat. So I visualize every day. And, and do still, you still visualize absolutely, today? Absolutely. I did this morning. So I go for a walk for like two hours. You know, and I switch off and I just think about a concept and I try to sort of bring that concept to if it's reality or not, you know. So, you know, obviously that comes up with like optimism bias that you need to battle every single day. How did, there,
1: what does that mean?
0: Often people, entrepreneurs are very optimistic. Um, they, got in, they get in like I did in a feed pass and you think this is going to be a easy. I'm going to replicate this. I'm going to get 100,000 subscribers overnight. Uh, and that doesn't happen, and then you run out of money, and then you fail. So that's the optimism bias. So you get, need to manage that optimism bias. You have to be remain optimistic, right? Because if you're not, you know, you're gonna be stuck in your uh, in your um, you know in your in your position. So I remember this mid March in 2012, when I realized FitPass is dead, and I needed to work something else. and I, and yeah, I realized because, you know, my my little jar with coins for coffee was well, down slowly to last coffee.
1: There and, was less and less. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, uh, and it was terrible. You know, my, no one was calling. I had no emails coming in apart from these automated marketing emails, um, you know, no messages anyway. So And that's what happens when you are out of loop, you know. So, like, all of a sudden, you're not important for anyone. Your business is really stuck somewhere, et cetera. And that's pretty hard. I tried to visualize how do I get out of this. And that was the easiest way to do. So when, when it's really difficult, I always go back and try to imagine better.
1: Imagine a different scenario yeah. and but then I, go towards executing Yeah,
0: but it. They just don't stay daydreaming. So you start planning. You know, so you go, okay, this is the vision, how I think this could look like. You know, what do I need to do? What supports I need? Like what skills I need? Uh, what capabilities I need to, to support this this daydream, Yeah. And then once you get these concepts, you go individually and say, okay, I need to do these steps for each of these pillars to get to the end.
1: How did Sales Trekker grow? So you have this product or the concept of a product within two days, you looked at it having run a business like XSource and you knew it mm-hmm. was great and it was going to serve a need. How did you build Sales Tracker sure. from that point?
0: So we... You know, when, once they build the prototype, we said, "Okay, look, let's make a deal. Let's start a company. How are we going to do it? We organize. You know, who owns what, and you know how we get paid, etc." So we created, like business, three people only, and uh, they said, "Look, we're going on holidays now. We're coming back in August. Let's start it first of September." And that was the that was the process. So they started first of September, uh, 2015, and by February 2016, we had a bet out. And started sort of like marketing it. I can't remember how I did. So you know, the
1: beta was ready within a couple of months?
0: Within six, seven months. Built by two people. Uh, I think I went back to Serbia maybe in March. That year we found another person who started with three developers and myself. I was product manager, so I was coming up with concepts of what needs to happen. And these guys were building back-end, front-end integration, etc. Initially, we built all in all uh, on Microsoft Asia. And then it moved to AWS uh, once you realized it was much better.
1: To the people we have listening who are thinking about their own moonshot, who want to pursue an ambitious goal, whether they're just starting out in their careers and they're young entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. or people looking to make more of a mid-career switch, what advice would you have for them?
0: Visualize. All the time. So like, you know, start imagining what you could do, you know, and uh, to me, that was the first thing, because, you know, if you don't think about what's possible, if you don't think about that, you know, you're stuck with your own little, like, you know, enclosure, you know, so the biggest problem we have as humans is, you know, we, we, we're very good at putting enclosure limits around ourselves, you know, personal limits, geographic limits, uh, uh and especially mind limits so you know get rid of those limits when you visualize you can it's safe environment no one knows what you're thinking of yeah how can Uh,
1: someone do that for you it came very naturally you often you talked about tapping into the imagination you had as a child mm -hmm. and you practice visualization daily lots of people and i would be very confident to say that most people probably don't visualize daily
0: switch your phone go for a walk I mean, that's what happens like you know we all we all are addicted to our media like you know and uh, you know social media news whatever it is you know and and the, the stuff that comes through it is generally very negative uh, or 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 if it's not negative it's very um, it's, let's call it time wasting you know it's there for for you know to get you maybe relaxed you know so maybe try to switch from that like detox for 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 2 hours a day i try to go walking at that moment I switch off the phone, you know, I don't look into it, you know, I just walk and then, you know, and, the, and maybe it's like a, for a lot of other people it's uh, meditating. I don't meditate because, you know, I find it boring, but like, you know, I, I think walking to me is meditation or swimming, you know, go swim in the ocean, you know, like it's cold, like 15 degree, degrees, you know, and you forget about everything else for that moment, you know, and it gives you that little break, you know, so um, yeah, I used to do it on a plane. Uh, airplane, so You wouldn't go
1: swimming in an ocean in an airplane? No, 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 you, you would switch, off,
0: switch off on a plane. It was the easiest place in the world to switch off because you don't have access to your uh, devices, all right? You can't do it, you know, so uh, I find a glass of wine on a plane. helps a lot to, to visualize. <laughs> when I was in corporate world, you know, I would go to the meetings, I would take a pen and paper, get a glass of wine. It's only Melbourne to Sydney plane and then you got 20 minutes. When you're feeling really, you know that uh, that uh, relaxed, uh,
1: re- it's not easy to get through to yeah, different you different air people. pressure as well, yep.
0: etc. So you all uh, air density, and then you all of a sudden start the brain starts sort of like flowing. Uh, it's very hard to flow when you get, you know, like uh, you have to think about, you know, where's my next salary coming from, and you know what's happening with the health of my parents, you know what's happening in the world, you know, etc. All of those things are noise, you know. Obviously, a lot of that noise has to happen. You have to think about those things, you know. But like if you set up you know if you take care of your health your family obviously that's your immediate control you know i i I can't control you know who kills whom and globally all right you know so i i can worry about it to some extent but i can't control it well i can easily control my diet, you know, I can control how my kids go to school, you know, what my parents are doing to some extent, a sister, etc. So that stuff is under my control. So I'll deal with that, and then I'm gonna switch everything, everyone off for those couple of hours.
1: When you visualize,
0: and but it, not, you know, like you know, I might just think about basketball. Look, you know, sometimes you know, just gonna go and talk, think about what's happening in my fantasy league in basketball, right? So that's not every day. When I come up with new products, I do that. I I got myself remarkable. It's 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 like a pen and paper with digital, which is stupid, like so, but like it's actually really good. So, it's like a um, digital writing pad, it's like an iPad, but doesn't have anything else. So, just writing and drawing. So, every time I've got an idea, I draw, I draw stupid things all the time on it, just as my my meditation. But if I have a concept, I'll draw it on that. Uh, I use things like um, uh, lucid charts. To chart things up so if i if i'm worried about something how this works i try to chart it to see where the gaps are so this is going back to engineering sort of brain thinking problem solving um so you know i'd use pen and paper if anything you know like always a writing pen till i got re- remarkable uh and i used to go through a lot of them just sort of drawing things and coming up to it you know, coming up to some idea, etc. So if I get an idea, then I'll go for a walk to start thinking about it. And, and then you, you go through all these different angles, you know, try to imagine. So first imagine, you know, obviously what's the distance, what's the fa- final goal? All right, That's like,
1: the visualisation piece when you were talking correct, about the advice, yeah, yeah. and then what comes after that?
0: So, but, you you know, it's got a few dif- different layers, you know, like long long distance, you know, what you want to achieve, you know, what those pillars that you need to have to achieve that, you know, and then what co- what task you might need to do, and this is how your plan comes along.
1: What about the limits? Because as soon as you talked about visualisation, you mm. were also talking about the limits that True. people put on themselves whether they be mindset limits, other limits, people how, how, do people, go, yeah. how, how do people work toward breaking through those? Because a lot of the time they're conditioned. They've existed for a very long time. How do people get past that point of going past their fears, insecurities, limits, self-imposed or yep. otherwise to actually get to that point to be yep. able to execute?
0: So, so there's obviously, there's always a jump, you know, so like, you know, if you, if you, uh, you want to, you know, there's a swimming ocean pool and you want to jump into it. A lot of people can't stand being upside down, all right? And there's a moment you need to make a call. Look, it's 15 degree ocean and I, I want to jump, you know, and I'm not good at it, whatever. And you need to make the jump. Once you make a jump, you know, okay, it's okay. Obviously, unless you break your neck, it's all good after that. So the same goes in going from corporate job to uh, running your own business. You know, there's all this, when I to spoke about pillars, you know, there's, okay, how is funding going to work? Who's going to pay for this? Was gonna pay for my living for next three years because that's roughly how long it takes not to have any money.
1: What are other people gonna think?
0: What are what are people gonna think? What are my parents gonna think? They didn't like when I left belt paid job to not to get paid. You know, you got other people that you need to like look after. You know, like you know, I I started before I had kids, which was really good. If I had kids, I would never start because you know your, your uh, risk profile changes dramatically. Then the um. You know, what are the skills I don't have? You know, like, I, can I replicate those skills? Can I learn those skills? Can I find someone that has those skills? Like, you know, in technology, I had no skills. I can't code anything. Like, I've got no idea how to code. I know how a product should look like, you know, how it should perform, you know, but even visually, there are people that are significantly better than me that can work out visual, visual uh, look and feel of a product, you know. Uh, so you need to find those skills. You need to put right people in right places, you know. So there's a lot of planning that, need to, that needs to take place. But the most important one is to make a call to jump once you made these little plans. So you can't jump without a plan. I did that with FitPass. My plan was insufficient. And then I had to backpedal and really plan quickly on the go.
1: And then you just got to take the leap of faith and take the jump.
0: You have to take a jump. That's, that's you know, if you want to leave corporate world into a, you know, a, a startup type of environment, you have to make a jump. You have to think about, you know, then you, but you have to prepare how the funding is going to look like, where's money going to come from. You have to deal with your optimism bias because things aren't going to happen as quickly as you think. They're probably going to be three times slower, which means you need three times more money to survive that period of time. So, and then you need to think about who else is going to be there to help me with this. You know, who, who, who can I lean on? Do I, have, you know, do I have a mentor? Do I need a mentor? Do I have uh, business partners? You know, do I want to have investors you know, or not? Like We called, made a call not to have investors You know, it was difficult, it would be more difficult to run and uh, you'd lose a lot of freedom because people jump into uh, running their own businesses is to gain freedom from corporate type of environment. But with
1: investors, suddenly there's a whole other group of stakeholders that have influence.
0: Yeah. And and we have investors in long queue business and I feel uh, constantly under pressure to perform for them, Uh, much more than just perform for myself and my business partners you know, and employees in sales and exos, um, you know, so it's significantly additional element of pressure. So it helps you probably perform better as well, but you don't get freedom that you might, that you might desire. So all of this comes into place, but you have to make a jump. And you need, the sooner you realize you have to make a jump, the better it is.
1: It's like pulling the Band-Aid off.
0: Pulling the Band-Aid off, uh, you know, when you're learning to, 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 to ride a bike, you know, for your first sort of like, you know, independent... You know, cycling when you learn to swim. You know, your first swim without you know your parents holding or whoever else is teaching. You know who is teaching you, etc. So it's always uh, skiing. You know, when you go skiing and you go, look, this is crazy. This is too too steep. I can't do this. And all of a sudden, you're down at bottom and you're alive. You know, so all of those things uh, are similar. You know, and and they can all be dealt with. Uh, you know, obviously visualizing, uh, planning. Planning also means preparing, like learning, you know, investing a lot in your development, you know, you learn all the time. So I started really late thinking I only got five more years of, co- of creative life left, creative life, you know, so I was wrong. Um, it was a
1: big call to make Yeah, yeah but early like I, on, with, still but early on your but life. But
0: that was one of the, I was, this is my last chance, you know, if I don't do it now, this is it. Like, you know, but like I could have done everything 15 years earlier or 10 years earlier, easily, much, much more easily.
1: There are a lot of people that have very different experiences. Mm. They start businesses at very different points in their life. You had one failed venture before you became successful. Other people have a lot more failed ventures before Mm -hmm. they find the thing that works. If you had to pick one thing that defines success or whether someone will be successful, what do you think is the most important thing?
0: Is it one pick, one, one trait or?
1: One characteristic trait.
0: Uh, ability to keep focus, maintain focus. So, Despite
1: all the challenges yeah. that might so majority
0: come So majority of entrepreneurs are very visionaries in one way or the other. So they can visualize what their products is going to look like, just about everyone, if not everyone. So you wouldn't have people starting their businesses if they can't envisage you know, what they're going to do. You know? you know, look at someone like Elon Musk. You know, he's done multiple times and every vision was incredible, right? And, and just about everyone eventuated. But I've seen a lot of people that fail because they cannot maintain focus and they keep shifting focus quickly. I forgot also about speed of decision-making. It's very important. Like a lot of people are scared to make difficult decisions, even if it's wrong, you know, like, you know, especially if it's wrong. So I make decisions quickly, very, very quickly, and they're often wrong. And I live with that.
1: And the advantage to that is that you learn faster from Uh, the outcome? Well, what's the biggest advantage in making decisions quickly versus so don't thinking time. about
0: them longer? No, no, you don't waste time. So often, like, you know, you get this into this uh, analysis paralysis, you know, so like people go and say, okay, I need to uh, analyze uh, this too far, you know, like, you know, is everything right? Look, generally, if industry is right, this is the first most important thing. If industry is right, if it's got a lot of those dimples, uh, you, you already have a good chance of succeeding. If the industry is bad, you've got an industry that doesn't pay, uh, doesn't pay on time, um, uh, there's no opportunities, you know, et cetera. Just you're wasting all of your talent onto it already. So I often look at, I've got a lot of friends who have their own businesses. And I look at the industries and I'm, in my internally I go, look, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to be in that industry or I would want to be in the industry, et cetera. So it's the first, first assessment. If it's the right industry, just go for it. People are often optimistic about their ability to scale up. It's very difficult to scale up. You know, I think that's a very hard thing to do. So often industries that you do less transactions but pay better, per transaction, a better option. So that's where industry analysis comes from. Once you do that, you make those calls, you know, and, and you obviously don't want to be making the same mistakes over and over again, so you analyze. So I mentioned there's four steps I go through. The last step is always review and repeat.
1: What are the first three?
0: So uh, um, visualize, plan focus on execution yeah and the last one is the review and repeat
1: the closed loop
0: yep so that could be decision could be part of this vision vision that was like immediate and I made all these. I I had a very quick shit plan I I focused on it executed and failed and I reviewed quickly it failed and I went back to it and said, okay we need to do something better I do it all the time by the way I make mistakes every day
1: and do it quickly I listened to a podcast recently by Alex Hormozzi. I'm not sure if you've heard of Mm. him, very successful businessman. And he talked about three things that are really important to be Mm -hmm. successful. One of them was actually pursuing the right idea. And it kind of goes to what you were saying around finding the right niche in your industry research. The second was doing the right thing and doing it enough. So putting in the right amount of effort, because if you do anything too little, you're not moving fast enough and you're not doing enough. And the third is sometimes just comes down to time. He was saying you need to do the right thing for a right enough yep. period of time because some things just take time to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with that. Last question. This has been incredibly ins- in- insightful. If you could give 20-year-old Dalibor sure. one piece of advice after knowing everything you know now, what advice would you give yourself yeah, back
0: yeah. then? Uh, it's pretty simple, actually. A jump earlier. You know, it spoke about a jump, you know, and uh, I did not think I could jump. You know, I I had, I came here as 20 years old, didn't know any English, had about 20 bucks in my pocket and I did not know what to do. But if I had, potentially if I had people around me that can give me some advice, you know, so obviously I would seek different advice back then, but like if I knew what was gonna happen, I would jump much, much earlier. I still liked the fact that I did a corporate job for a while and I would still do that in let's say five years and I would have jumped then, you know, and that, that probably would be the best path at the time. So, a lot of people are scared of a jump, you know, because, you know, all of a sudden you don't have that secure environment where people look after you. You get office, you know, you might get some perks in your office travel, et cetera. But if you are 25 year old and you jumped, why not?
1: Salvador, thank you very much. You told me last week that today was actually your 30 year anniversary yep. since coming to Australia. Yep. Congratulations. You've done some absolutely incredible things. You're very inspiring, especially coming from a very similar journey that I resonate with in actually taking that jump and I wish you all the very best for what's next. You're a problem solver at heart and I can't wait to see what other problems you continue to solve. Thank you, Tatiana. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Moonshot. If you felt inspired today and are curious about taking your own personal growth to the next level, check out my performance coaching website at leadwithtatiana.com. For more insights, stories and behind the scenes content, follow me on Instagram at tatiana.moonshot. And if you have guest suggestions or topics you'd like explored, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. See you soon for another inspiring conversation that might just be the catalyst to the growth you've been seeking.